0: Um, I, I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't call it a sermon. Um, it's more of a, a talk uh, with a sermonette in it somewhere. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I want to uh, talk about some things that the text would not normally allow me uh, to talk, you know, in the way that we preach. Um, we try to be very constrained by the text. And uh, tonight I wanted to say um, more things obviously than uh, than what the text uh, would allow, so I just want to be upfront and, and explain that um, uh, What I want to do tonight is I want to do a little bit of looking backward, looking forward, looking inward, um, and then think about gospel love in three different contexts and that 's my hope for tonight um, in a much shorter period of time than uh, i 'm used to getting. Um, Uh, So with that said, I I just want to pray. I'd like to open up uh, this time in prayer and ask God to bless it. Father, um, thank you for your sweet kindness to us. You are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of a life of worship. Father, you're worthy of um, everything that we have. Uh, Father, you came to us people who are very much not like you in many ways, and you condescended uh, to us, like you came down to us um, to meet us. Father, not to leave us there, but to raise us up in Christ, to make us your children and co-heirs of the throne of grace with your son Jesus. So, Father, I just pray that uh, we would see these truths tonight, that we would reflect on your glory and be captivated by it and rid our lives of all of the pathetic idolatry that we uh, substitute um, in the place of worship of our hearts and minds where only you belong. Father, may you, may you do this uh, mighty work in us even tonight. Father, for it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me look, look backward. Uh, uh, first of all, I, I make a comment. Um, this is the first renovation at night that I've not led worship, and it's the first renovation at night that I've spoken at, um, I believe. A little bit of a change of pace uh, for us, and there's multiple reasons why uh, we wanted to do it this way, but uh, it feels a little weird. Usually I'm sitting uh, and listening during this time, uh, but I'm thankful for the chance to, to speak Uh, tonight. Um, Looking backward, I want to just kind of reflect a little bit over the past, uh, particularly the past year, past year, year and a half. I think about what God has done in this place. God has done many things over the eight years that we've been a church, and um, you heard me recount uh, just a little bit of that kind of off the cuff earlier uh, tonight. But Looking back over this past year, I had just a uh, few notes that I wrote down as I was thinking about this. God has brought us uh, many things. I want to list those. The first thing, God has brought us many new people uh, over this past year. New gifts, new desires, uh, new cultures, new struggles, new fervor, uh, new uh, uh, fresh breaths of air, um, God has, God has done that in our presence over this past year. I am so thankful that God is the one that grows his church, and God is the one that perseveres his people. He is the one that raises up new people, and he is the one that moves people on. Uh, and I'm so thankful for God's graciousness in doing such over this past year. Um, God has grown us numerically uh, in that thought there. Uh, Next, God has uh, brought us many new leaders over this past year. Um, A year ago, we had two elders, uh, roughly seven, eight ministry leaders, other various ministry leaders, and obviously many volunteers. Uh, Now, we, by God's grace, have three elders. Um, I don't know if you understand the significance of that. Um, some churches by choice choose to have a single pastor, uh, to lead the entire flock. I think that that's crazy beyond about 20 people, uh, and probably even crazy at 20 people. Uh, just cause it's, honestly, our conviction is that it's, it's not biblical. Um, our conviction is that, uh, church is to be led by a plurality of elders, um, But the other significance of that is that you have not four eyes watching over your souls, but six. Um, And the way we view pastoral leadership in the church is that we all three are elders over the whole body. Not just one is the youth overseer, one is the, you know, children, you know, whatever the case is. Um, But all six of us, we might have areas of specialty, but we all oversee the whole body. We all are trying to watch over the whole flock, even though we do tend to have spheres of, of people that we tend to concentrate on amongst us elders. Um, we have three elders. Uh, that's a huge blessing. That was uh, many years in the making. Um, it's actually not common, or not uncommon. They say, particularly in church planting, that it takes five to six years or so to raise up an elder, um, and it took every bit of that. So we have three elders, not just two. Uh, From eight ministry leaders to 13 plus. uh, And many uh, leaders, ministry leaders, in kind of the the making, if you will, and the pipeline, if you will. Uh, When I think of leaders, I think of uh, from nursery team leaders to uh, roadie crew to house gathering leaders. One of our desires... Uh, that came out of our elder meeting last year, our elder retreat, was the desire to uh, spread influence, um, to give voice to other people, uh, to, uh, um, to help raise up people who would e- help the elders equip other people for the ministry. And um, so we've been excited to see God do that over this past year and, and to see the potential awaiting uh, we're, we're really thankful and excited for that. We also have too many volunteers to count. Um, and we are so thankful that uh, we, we're in a church where our nursery ministry, uh, of course, you know, um, well, I, there was a phrase, I can't remember it, uh, uh, you've been voluntold, I think was the phrase that I heard, uh, to, uh, to serve in the nursery. I think that was, uh, I was in an elder interview when I heard that, that word uh i thought that was yeah that's great um, <laughs> um but we, we we do i anyways i could i could go, i could belabor that point we have so many volunteers i'm so thankful for that um we don't usually have to beg people to do things um also god has made us more caring over this past year god has grown us god has made us more caring he's brought us new leaders um Made us more caring. What do I mean by that? Loving Christ and loving each other. I think God has increased. We have so far to go, right? There's so much to learn here, so much to grow. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about this tonight. But, but to helping us love Christ and loving each other. Why, there, there are um, specific things. I don't have time to list. Nor uh, maybe they maybe it wouldn't even be appropriate at this time. But to, to have examples to give of where I believe people have grown in loving Christ and loving Each other, caring for practical needs as well as caring for heart needs. Um, Oftentimes, it's it's really easy to care for practical needs, even though we tend to miss those. But seeing people care for heart needs, meaning people recognizing uh, heart struggle, sin in other people's lives, and helping, uh, not condemning, but helping, speaking truth into their lives. Countless stories. If you, and listen, here's the deal. If you avail yourself to that, it will happen. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of church that uh, will speak the truth of the gospel into your life if you will let it happen. If you will avail yourself to it, it will happen. God has made us more caring and more loving. God has grown our community as a life-changing community. So kind of to take that a step further, I have I've heard countless stories of people living out relationships where sin is being confessed and faith is being increased. Um, I've heard many stories of our new house gatherings and how they are stretching and pushing people and those people being stretched and pushed, responding in dependence on God and help from others. Um, I, love, like, I love hearing the... Of course, my heart gets a little... Uh, tense when I hear, like, uh, you know, I'm struggling with this, like, uh, I'm struggling with serving, or I, I'm uncomfortable in my leadership role, and, like, and then my, my heart kind of goes, <gasps> you know, and then, like, the story, but the story doesn't stop there. In most churches, or not most, I'm, I'm being unfair, in many churches, that, that story stops right there, uh, or it's, it morphs, it continues from there into, and then I ran to something else. Uh, but here I, we hear stories of I am struggling with this. And then I, I, I read the scriptures. I prayed. I talked to my DNA leader. And they helped me walk by faith. Um, that's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, that's not a fancy formula. That's not something Renovation came up with. That's the Bible. Uh, that was Jesus' plan for us. <clears throat> I'm hearing a, a greater openness To talking about sin and struggles, I mean, I don't know if that's a if you've experienced that your whole life. I was hearing from someone the other day that you know they grew up in a place where in a household where sin was not a safe thing. It was not a safe place to talk about sin. And um, what what I've noticed, and what I believe us as elders have noticed in our church, is that our church is increasingly becoming a safer place to talk about sin, while becoming a more hostile place to harbor sin. Um, And I think that's a glorious thing. That's the way it should be. It should be safe to talk about sin and unsafe to be unrepentant in that sin. Um, That's what the gospel does. The gospel says, hey, come to me. I have dealt with your sin. So walk in repentance. And so we as a people, as a church, I have seen stories. Again, we have so far to go with this, but it's still beautiful to watch that increase. Again, a safe place to talk about sin, but a hostile place to harbor that sin. Here's what I've noticed. When someone wants to harbor sin, wants to keep petting that sin, Well, here's what I've noticed. Even here, they run from relationships in the body. I think that's an indication that harboring sin, um, that uh, it's not a safe place for that. And so if you don't want to be uh, pushed to work through your sin, then you'll run. But if you want to work through your sin, you'll find a safe place to do so. This is something to be encouraged about and discouraged at the same time, right? Discouraged because sin can have such a hold on any life in this room, myself included. We can be blind to sin, We have blind spots. That's why we need people around us. That's why we have a plurality of elders. Because we recognize that sin can have such a hold on someone's life as to to make them want to harbor sin and not deal with it. But it's also encouraging because sin oftentimes cannot find a home in this place. Um, And that is wonderfully encouraging to me. Again, this is different than a safe place to talk about sin. We, we want that. We want it to be that, but not a safe place to harbor it. So God has grown us, and I think is in becoming more of a life-changing community. Next, renovation has, has grown uh, so much over this past year. I believe this body is healthier than it's ever been. Um, we think about what is a, a healthy church, a I believe it's healthier than it's ever been. I don't have time to dig into that. But I believe the leaders of this church, particularly your elders, are more confident in what God has called us to do in this place than we have ever been. His body is stronger than it's ever been, and we are more gracious than we have ever been. Again, we have so far to go, but, but God has grown us in these ways. I, I believe, church, that this is a wonderful place to be. Um, I want you to know that your pastors don't want to be anyplace else. But even more important than the perceived realities of this church is the known realities of God. And that is He is still all-powerful and just as powerful as He's ever been and He's never changed and He never will. So we might be growing in strength, but He has not weakened and He has not grown for He has always been and will always be as strong as He has ever been. That God is still just as much with His people as He has ever been. From day one, He has been in this church and he has not changed he is not here any more now than he's ever been and thirdly he is still ensuring the success of his church just as much as he has ever been um, it's his mission to continue and we get to be faithful servants in that so a little bit of looking backward now a little bit of looking forward where do we want to go what's where should we go what, where where do we see God taking us? And um, Let me say a couple things here. One is we want and need to be a church so unified in its love for Christ and each other that it overflows in reaching other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of church we want. That's the kind of church we need to be. And we need to talk about ways that we Can grow in that, and that's largely what I'm going to talk about tonight. This means we need to learn how to love our enemies. Those who would oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ and maybe even persecute us for doing so. We need to learn how to love these people. This is going to grow in our nation. I don't know if you realize that, but that's happening. Opposition to the gospel is growing. I don't know that we'll see. Uh, outright physical persecution in in our lifetime we might certainly seems like things are headed that way we need to learn how to love our enemies even in the practical ways in which we face opposition today we'll talk about some of those in just a few minutes understand that this opposition or our enemies could even be those who consider themselves Christians but this also means not just loving our enemies but loving those indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ like loving those who, who are kind of like, ah, you know, I don't know if I need the gospel. I don't know that I need Jesus. This is likely your neighbor, your coworker, the cashier at Target, or your friends on Facebook. This is probably a majority of the people that you run into. They're not ready to persecute you, but they're also not willing at this point to follow Jesus. Number three are our enemies, uh, those indifferent. And thirdly, this means learning how to love those who love Christ but look and act different than us those who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ those who believe the right things that concerning doctrine and the importance of Christ but still look and act and maybe even apply some of those things differently you can find this person maybe even in the chair behind you or to the side you could find this, church, this person in another church. Maybe this person is of a different race or a different culture. This person could be a person who is less or maybe even more mature in their walk with Christ than you. What's it look like to love in these different contexts? What's it look like to faithfully love with the gospel of Jesus Christ in these contexts? Loving means, when I think of loving, obviously there's more to it than this, but I think of proclaiming the gospel and sharing in the blessings of the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel and sharing in the blessings of God. Loving people means proclaiming the gospel to them and sharing in the blessings of the gospel. Proclamation or the proclaiming of the gospel to those who need it. And we have to understand that we all need that. Like, this is not just to those who don't follow Jesus, but to those of us who struggle to follow Jesus as well. We need to have the gospel proclaimed to us. I was in a, a very impromptu uh, kind of just counseling slash encouraging conversation the other day, and I kind of launched into uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel to this person. And, and you know, right, so if you're struggling and you start hearing someone start sharing the gospel with you in the midst of that and you consider yourself a Christian it, oftentimes in pride we can respond with well I know that already why are you telling me right and uh, so there's always like this hesitance in me and I hate it I absolutely hate it but this person sitting across the desk from me says um, I, I need to hear that thank you because like, I think I even gave the caveat I know you know this I know you know this no 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 and the person said no I need to hear it so proclaiming the gospel, and then what, what did even that person and I do for those that, just that brief second? So we shared in the blessings of the gospel. You see, we all need help believing and applying the gospel. We all need help sharing in the blessings of the gospel. And this is what it means. So how do we love our enemies? How do we love those indifferent to the gospel? How do we love those who love Christ but act and look different than us? How do we proclaim the gospel to them? How do we share in the blessings of the gospel with them? Again, the reality is we struggle, I believe, to love others rightly. We live in this culture where we only have room to love those who are oftentimes exactly like us. Or at least we perceive to be like us, or the things that we value, they are like us. What what does that practically look like? It looks like, if I can just name it for what it is, it looks like loving people who support the building of our own kingdoms the people that won't get in the way of us getting what we like. We love oftentimes only those who would support our agendas or make us more comfortable or our desires. I want to spend a few moments here looking inward. Um, If I could be Debbie Downer here, sorry if your name's Debbie, but uh, if I could be Debbie Downer for a second and look inward... Uh, I, don't, I don't believe as a church that we've been the greatest in reaching others with the gospel of Christ. I think that is something that, that we struggle with. I hate that, but I think it's true. Some of this is because we've needed to grow in loving and caring for each other. For if you cannot lay your life down for the people in this room, you will certainly never lay your life down for those outside of this room. I mean, that's, that's the reality. We, we are called and empowered uh to lay down our lives for the body of Christ in a very unique way so that we can then go lay down our lives for those outside of the body of Christ who need the gospel. When I think of others and reaching others with the gospel, I don't mean that we've not been good at going door to door and sharing a gospel tract with our neighbor, even though I would not condemn doing that. I'm thinking more broadly than that. I'm thinking we struggle with bringing the gospel to bear on people who need Christ. Some examples. Bringing the gospel into the relationship with your coworker who doesn't worship Jesus. That's a struggle. I think we all struggle with that. I mean, my goodness, I even in the context of your elders, it's sometimes hard to bring Jesus into the context of relationship. Uh, with someone who does know Christ. That's a challenge, right? Because even in that, you're like, well, I know they know this, and I don't, you know. Don't. But then if it's hard in that, I can only imagine what it's like with the person who you don't know quite how they're going to respond to you. Our second example, bringing the gospel to bear on how and why we should care for the poor or the oppressed. These are things I think we need to grow in. So if we're looking inward, meaning looking inside of us and looking inside our church, these are things we need to grow in. Bringing the gospel to bear on all of life, but particularly when it comes to reaching others with the gospel. We need to be more outward focused, caring for those who need Christ. Even giving up our lives, our dreams, our agendas, our kingdoms. How much time do we spend just doing the things that indulge our flesh? when we should be laying down our lives for other people. Even things that are good things, right? Like indulging our flesh with good things. How much time do we spend doing that? We need to grow in caring for those who may not be exactly like us or like you. So I, I want, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to make a corporate confession in prayer. I want to... I want to Confess before God on behalf of us, um, this struggle of ours, and pray, and ask God for His kindness and His His gentleness to lead us and to walk in repentance. And um, and uh, so let's let's bow our heads. I want us to pray. I will pray for us, Lauren. We know from the Scriptures that even though we are made in Your image. You are still very much unlike us. You created us to bear your image, but instead we marred that image and still confuse it even once we have been redeemed. You are holy, perfect, and just. You are righteous, forgiving, and kind. We, more often than not, are unholy, imperfect, unjust. We are often unrighteous, unforgiving, and unkind. You are unlike us, God, and we are unlike you. It would have been just for you to have done away with us. And yet, and yet you in great compassion came to us, those who are very much unlike you and rescued us and have shown us your holiness, your forgiveness, your kindness, your mercy. Those who are unlike us we struggle to embrace with grace and mercy when the irony is that we are more like them than we are unlike them only you God are more unlike us than alike and yet you came to us you loved us and are changing us to be more like you what excuse do we have for not loving and showing grace and mercy to those we think are unlike us, but in reality are more like us than we realize. Lord, please don't let us excuse our lack of compassion for those around us. Give us eyes to see the compassion you have shown us. Give us eyes to see the grace you have shown us so that we might have the hands to administer your compassion and your grace. Father, we know you are quick to forgive and you will lead us in the path of repentance. Praise be unto God, the great and just God who forgives those who are his children through the payment of his son's blood. Amen. Amen. I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about gospel love in three contexts. Thinking about three different contexts in which gospel love, this will be pretty brief. I want to think the first context is loving those who persecute Christ, love those who persecute his followers. We just studied uh, obviously Acts 7 this past week, and so it's very pertinent for tonight, but briefly, let me remind you, if you have your Bibles, you can and you're already in Acts chapter seven, I'm going to be in 59 and uh, 54 through 50, 54 through60, very briefly here. But verse 59 and 60, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Listen, the the reality is, is for many of us, like you got to think about the story of Stephen here. He's probably engaging these leaders for multiple days. We probably have a very shorthand version of, Uh, a a very Cliff Notes version of what happened during this time. For many of us, two sentences in, and they oppose us, uh, we're like throwing our hands up and walking away. Oh, no, they challenged what I said. How often when we feel even the slightest bit of opposition... Maybe we even get angry. We probably call it frustration, which is just a, a nicer way to say angry. Maybe even from our children, they oppose the gospel in our house, or they oppose our exercise of leadership or of the gospel in our house. Maybe it's with our spouse, maybe it's with our boss or co-workers, or maybe even our church leaders. We feel opposition. Sometimes it's opposition to simply building our own kingdoms, Sometimes it's genuine opposition to the gospel. Listen, so we get so angry oftentimes because our kingdom is being come against, not because of God's kingdom. So I think the first step is kind of discerning, why am I upset at the opposition? Is it because I'm, what I want is being opposed? Or is because what God wants is being opposed? But secondly, if it's indeed against God's kingdom, you discern that it is indeed against Him, why does our compassion, even in that context, go out the window? Oftentimes, this is what I've noticed in, in my own life, in the life of our church, and certainly even in broader Christian cultures, this. We pursue protection over proclamation. We pursue protection over proclamation. What do I mean by that? We want to be safe more than we want the gospel to go forward. Uh, let me give you a, a, a political example right now. The speaker, on behalf of a very powerful person in our country, uh, told voters in Alabama to vote for a certain senator who has done some terrible things just so that we can get the tax reform passed. I don't know about you, but it gets my blood boiling. Even right now, I feel my heart rate increasing. Because that just... It's our witness, our protection. Let me go back. Our protection is not more important than our proclamation. We struggle with this. We choose what to say when we lead our families. We choose what to say at work. We choose what, oftentimes because we're pursuing protection long before we're pursuing any sort of proclamation. We want to save our skin. Uh, that's more important to us than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, listen, listen to me very clearly. Listen. Protection is already yours. It's already yours. The government can't give you the protection that you already have. Tax reform can't give you the protection that you already have. Your paycheck doesn't give you better protection than the protection you already have. Having the right relationships with the right people doesn't give you the protection that you already have. Listen, You will get a new body. Your tomorrow is already secure. The creator of the world already holds your emotions and your mind in his hand. You don't need to pursue protection to the neglect of proclamation. Now, I would say this, it's not an either-or. It's not that we just abandon protection. Like, right, there's certain levels of that which are okay in protecting our families and things like that. But, but when we do it to the neglect or even the priority over the proclamation of the gospel, we have got our loves disordered. Stephen certainly gave up protection for proclamation. And the even greater example is our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, right? He gave up protection for proclamation. Why? Why could he do that? Because he believed that his protection was already secured. Listen, Stephen loved those who persecuted him. He engaged them with gentleness, compassion, and love. And when they opposed him, he didn't back down from the opposition. Instead, he stared the opposition in the face With nothing but love on his face, as if to say, listen, the truth is the truth, whether you or I like it or not. But I love you. Why? Because Christ loves you. Here's how Stephen did it. Again, we talked about this on Sunday, but now in verse 54, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they grounded their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Again, just to refresh our minds, even from yesterday, Jesus was standing, not sitting. What was He standing for? He was advocating on Stephen's behalf. He was in the courtroom of God advocating on Stephen's behalf and He saw this. And here's what this is saying. Stephen, listen to this picture here. Stephen, as, as, as if Jesus is saying this, Stephen, you persecuted me. You hated me. You were my enemy, Stephen. Your sins put me on the cross. And my father knows this, but my father in his great mercy sent me to die for you. And now I stand before him. And when he looks at you, he looks through me and he sees one whose payment has been made. Again, Stephen, as he was being condemned on earth, was being commended in heaven. Stephen understood that he was just like those who persecuted him. He was not unlike them. This didn't mean that Stephen didn't stand for the truth. No, he stood for the truth, but he did it with a different kind of boldness. He tells them they're stiff-necked people, but he also gave them hope because Stephen had hope to offer. Oftentimes, we don't offer hope because we forget the hope that we have to offer. That's how Stephen loved those who persecuted him. Second, loving those who are indifferent to Christ. Again, thinking here probably of people you meet across the fence at home or your coworkers, They're probably not persecuting you, but they, you know, the gospel they can take or leave. Let me ask you this question. H- how do you view them? Like, how do you, when you think about them on uh, a day-to-day basis, how do, you, how do you think about them? Do you just think of them as foolish people? Or maybe it frustrates you because you're wondering, why why don't they just get it? Maybe it gets annoying sometimes, or maybe you even try to avoid conversations with them that you should have. Do you just kind of come into your house, shut your door, go about your agenda, go to work, and say, well, I've got all this to get done, so I don't have time to talk to my coworkers? How do you show love and compassion to these people? How do you love these people, show grace to these people? Why should we do such a thing, right? Because, because our Savior has shown such love and grace to us. Let me help you think about these people just a little bit. They, we don't know whom God has chosen and whom God will redeem. We should go forth as if they all have been. Thinking, maybe this is one of God's sheep that has yet to meet its shepherd. What if at the very least, there are people following, following the prince and power of the age, and they will go to hell if not for the gospel. The hope that you and I have. They're lost and confused. They're looking. I mean, honestly, look, the people around you are looking and searching for something beyond themselves. It is just either don't know where to get it, or they know where to get it and don't want it. I want to challenge you with this thought. As we think about bringing people into the body of Christ, we want to and need to learn how to make room for their presence. For people who maybe don't know the right lingo, for people who don't know the Christianese, for people who Maybe you don't know that you're not supposed to cuss every other word that comes out of your mouth. Whoa, listen, I, I've, I've had this thought. I had this thought. Could, you, could your house gathering handle a person in your midst who uses words we don't use and talks about things we don't talk about in public? Could your house gathering handle that? How would you handle that? I don't have time to go into that right now. I know at the very least I'd have to have lots of conversations with my children later that night. And that's okay. That's okay. Like, does th- this- your just understanding of life even have room for that? Because it's so easy for us just to gravitate towards people where it's comfortable and easy for us to live and we don't have to be on guard, we don't have to worry about. Having those conversations with our children later, like it's just easier. I get it. I get it. It's easier. Could your house gathering? Let me ask you this: Could your house gathering be careful to talk about the gospel in ways that someone who doesn't go to church understands? Like, could you, could you, off the cuff, knowing that someone else is in your presence that may not understand, could you, could you speak about it in a way that's loving and caring? For them. Not in a condescending way, not, that's what I'm saying, but in a way that accommodates them, that, that meets them where they are at. I think in some ways this is at least getting at what it looks like to love those who are indifferent to Christ or those who are maybe on this journey but much earlier in the process. The last context in which I want to think about loving is this. Loving those who are different than you but still love Christ how do we love those who are different than us but still love Christ this certainly has application within our body loving those inside our body who are different than us but still love Christ but it's also loving people who are not a part of this body that love Christ but are still different than us I mean think about I I was thinking about some things that we might struggle with what about loving someone who loves Christ but is different than you and different specifically in the way they see politics different than the way you see politics? Let me ask you this. Do you just write them off as a liberal? They didn't vote the same way I did. They don't have the red card. Must be a liberal. Do you just kind of, they're done. Or, I'll move on. <laughs> maybe this person's less mature in their application of the gospel maybe they're less mature in their application of the gospel and living and bringing the gospel to bear on their lives right they love Jesus but do you just get frustrated and annoyed do you just go oh, daggone it I mean listen I, I, I struggle with that daggone it I didn't just preach on that I've never said that before. Totally theorizing right now. How about this? A different culture or race that values other good things than we do. Maybe they value, I was thinking uh, clearly of myself right here, uh, Maybe they value interacting with the preacher during the sermon. Uh, verbally. Amen. Amen. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Not self-serving at all. I had to tell someone. I, for, I, forget, I forget. I forget. Someone, I, I forget even who it was. But one of you I talked to after service last week. And I said, I enjoyed interacting with your face uh, during the sermon. Because that's about the extent. <laughs> did I? Did I don't remember. <laughs> it was Nick. <laughs> I, did. I didn't quite say it so uh, crass, but I did say that. I enjoyed interacting with your face. I was thankful for what I had, honestly. Now, maybe they value. May, so what would it look like to worship in the same context with people who value interacting with the preacher in a different way than you do? Or maybe interacting, maybe, what's it look like to love, what's it look like to love people that care for the poor more than we do? What's that, what's that look like, to love them? People that value other things. I mean, maybe in that, and probably in that reality, in which I'm kind of arguing for this tonight, is that we have a lot to learn from them. People that are not like us. Listen, do we have room in our grace to love them and walk with them? Again, so much of our ideals are wrapped up in preferences. Like we're, So much of our life and our desires are wrapped up in preferences. We like a certain length of sermon. We like a certain kind of music or a certain dress code. Or we want our kids to have other kids their age. Or we want a certain flavor or brand of political engagement. Or we like a certain measure of social issue involvement. And... So many, listen, yeah, there's certain things here that Scripture would guide what these things should look like. But are we careful to, to understand that we're, we're not called to unify around preferences, but around the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, as we grow as a church, it's going to necessitate a love that grows too. Indeed, we will only grow if our love is growing. What I mean is we will only grow to the extent to which Christ's love makes room in our hearts for growth. Meaning to love more people as God expands the ability of our hearts to love more people. To love people that are different than us. To love people that don't walk and talk the same as us. We will only grow to the extent to which we have the ability to, to love. Listen, our call to unity even with those who are a bit different than us. Hear these words in John 17, verse 20 through 23. He says this. Jesus is praying here. He says, I do not ask, talking to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory, listen, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. A few brief comments here. This is a remarkable prayer for unity. Like, and understand that the unity here is comparable only to the Trinity. So the unity that's to be in the body of Christ is comparable only to the Trinity. And Jesus prays that his followers would be characterized by such deep love for each other that the community of faith would be as unified as he is with the Father. That's astounding. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. Paul Tripp was really helpful in a few of these thoughts. Relationships within the community of faith are meant to reveal the person and work of Christ to a watching world. This unity, listen to me, has, greater, has a greater goal than simply enjoyable relationships. Relationships that make me happy or that bring me joy. Unity has a greater goal than that. The body of Christ is about way more than just each of us having a couple friends. The same for our children. Here's the goal. The goal is that the world would see and know Christ through our unity. Where would we settle just for these couple things when we could have this kind of goal? Listen, this is even with people who may not see eye to eye with you Listen, the bar is set high, as Paul Tripp says. We are called to achieve a quality of unity that can only be compared to his relationship with the Father. Think about this example. Think about Christ and his disciples. Think about these two particular people with me real quick. You have Matthew, who is what? A tax collector. There you go. Someone picked up on my hint earlier. A Jew right, who collected Roman taxes from his own people. Tax collectors were despised. And then across the room sat Simon the what? The Zealot. You know what Zealots were? They were the conservative extremists of their day. Much like the radical militia and terrorists of our world. They were convinced that the Roman government would only be overthrown by violence. And they were the ones, Paul Tripp says, were ready to provide it. There was no one a zealot hated more than a tax collector. And I think for you and I, we can even think of those whom we probably hate no one else more than. But Christ's purpose for Matthew and Simon was that their relationship would display such an amazing unity and love that the surrounding world would take notice and see Christ. And we have a hard time loving someone with a different political desire than us. Or we have a hard time loving someone who grew up in a different part of town. I mean, this sounds crazy. I mean, listen, shouldn't it be enough for them to simply have their own churches where they worship Jesus in their own way? But both are Christians. Isn't it enough for them just to be a part of the universal church? Right? Jesus says, though, that he has made this possible. Jesus says that he gave us the glory to make this possible. That's what he's talking about, giving us the glory. It's the glory of the Father revealed through the Son in the incarnation. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. And what comes as the Son comes, right, in the incarnation? It comes the glory of God. All His brilliance manifested on earth in the presence of His Son, in the image of His Son. And now, Jesus says He has given us this glory, and we are to continue this glory. So this, this incarnate glory of the Father is continued because Jesus gave it to us. So we are to, to put it another way, we are to incarnate Christ. We are to be Christ in the flesh to those around us. We are to live in light of the glory of God that Jesus has given us. And listen to what Jesus' words are saying. The primary means by which we show the glory of God is by being united with those who love Jesus. We live out the glory of God by loving those who love Jesus. Our unity continues the Incarnation. So do you want to know how to celebrate Christmas all year round? Right, we always talk about that every year, right? We want to celebrate Christmas. We don't want to just celebrate it today. We want to celebrate it tomorrow. We want to celebrate it in January, right? We all, we all have sentiments of wanting to celebrate Christmas all year round, right? And then we pack up the Advent calendars and all of our cute crafts and all the decorations, and then we just kind of go on and with our life, and we don't think anything more about Christmas and the Incarnation. Here's how you celebrate Christmas all year round. Pursue unity with the body of Christ every day. You want to celebrate the incarnation? Pursue unity with the body every day. God's glory on earth and the incarnation of Jesus continues through the unity of God's people. That's an amazing thing. Again, this is how unity unity takes place. Let me think about this practically. Again, Paul Tripp is really helpful here. When we realize that people, even those who are different than us, who have the gospel, are here to show us Christ in new ways. Those people who are different than us but that love Christ and have the gospel show us Christ in different ways. And in doing so, as they do that, they show us the emptiness of our own agendas and the incomplete view we have of Christ. What does this do then? What does that do? So as we engage and interact, we are unified with people who love Christ they sh- but are different than us. They show us a different facet of the brilliance of Christ. And what happens is that the brilliance of our perception, our understanding, our seeing of Christ's beauty is bolstered. And our beholding of his glory is increased. For when we behold his glory, we will live in unity. And when we live in unity, it increases our beholding of his glory, even with those who love Christ but are not quite like us. So listen, church, I gonna say this. This place is a wonderful place. I believe God is here. He is in this place and He holds our future in the palm of His hands. May we, over this next year, learn to love the Lord Jesus more so that our hearts would make room for unity with others as God grows His church. Let's pray. I thank You for having room in Your heart to love us, having room in Your heart to... Rescue us, to show us compassion, to show us mercy, to bring us out of the depths of depravity. I thank you for making it possible that we could be your children. Father, for making us who had become so unlike you And now through the rescue work of your son Jesus and the continued work of the Spirit through the Word and the body of Christ, you are now transforming us from one degree of glory to the next as you are making us more and more into the image of your son Jesus. Help us please increase our gospel-centered love for those who might persecute us, for those who are indifferent to the gospel and increase our love for those who love your son Jesus but are different than us. I give you praise for know these things you will answer. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is, this is <laughs> left for me, let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from Thy wounded side flow.